Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn there. Verse 23 is going to be our target verse this morning, 23 through 26. But I want to read from verse 21 to just summarize this one section that we've been in. And we've been uh, going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for a while now, preaching through the Beatitudes and into some of the points he's making here. Uh, the first part of this message here, starting in verse 21, dealt with murder. And then we're going to shift our gears here. Uh, I'm going to read through verse 26. But let's thank God for the word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the word. I thank you for this study. I thank you that everything you've written here in the word is relevant to us. God, help it come alive to us. Holy Spirit, let the truth and the principles and the pearls of wisdom and the hidden things leap off the pages of your scripture this morning and become real to our lives. Don't send any of us out the way we came, but change us by the word. When we ask that in Jesus' name and the church said, all right, let me read 21 through 26. And when we get to 23, that's a good spot to really start paying attention. Maybe wake up and come to your senses. Jesus speaking here, talking about relationships. He says, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And everyone who says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And everyone who says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Verse 23, the second part of this thought here. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid every last cent. Jesus sharing some interesting things with the multitudes here, speaking in a way that using parables and uh, some things that were hidden from the casual seeker. But for us who follow after him and who are his disciples, the Holy Spirit is opening up truth here. The first part of this message was centered on the topic of murder. And last time we were together, we talked about murder, the difference between killing and murder, the mandate of the state to uh, keep civil order so that society will be in order with God's commands. Murder was something that Jesus challenged us to look at, not just from a legalistic perspective of whether we've actually committed it or not, but to look at it as an issue of the heart because that's how God looks at it. And we may never pull the trigger or stop a heartbeat, but we learned from what Jesus taught here that we can murder people with our pride or with our words or with our judgments of them. So be willing to let the Holy Spirit shine that light into the heart and see what's in there. We shift gears here within the same framework of these verses. He makes a second point here. And the second half of this message contained from verse 23 forward deals with us having the right skills to facilitate the restoration of fractured relationships. Now, all of us have relationships and all of us deal with relationships that are in some state of either being fractured or in disrepair or a lack of maintenance. If you are a living, breathing person, you have relationships. 
And if you're out there saying, no, all my relationships are perfectly in order. No, they're not. Somebody's not happy with you. And there's a fracture there. Did you ever, you know, when you, it's funny when you talk to married people, you talk to one spouse, oh, our marriage is great. And the other spouse is, I just filed this week. Yikes is right. Because why? There are fractures there that sometimes we, we're not privy to. And Jesus wanted us to have uh, the skill set to restore those fractured relationships. Now, fractured relationships, much like fractured bones, can be healed. If you know anything about bones that men, when you break a bone and then it heals, the place where it's broken actually becomes stronger after the mending than when it started because of the calcification and how the bone splints and splices together, that it will never break in that spot again. So the, the message and the hope is this, that where we have fractured relationships, God can actually put them back together so that they're stronger than when we started. Now that's good news for everybody, but particularly for married people, amen? <laughs> God puts things together so well. Yet there is a skill set that is necessary for us to have for us to set that relationship so it heals properly. And there's three skills that I see in the text here that we covered from verse 23 through 26, and we're going to cover them this morning. The first skill necessary for mending fractured relationships is this, the skill of spiritual sensitivity. You and I are called not to be spiritually dull or dense, Hello. But we're called to be spiritually sensitive. You and I know before we had the Holy Spirit in us, before we came to Jesus, there were a whole lot of spiritual things we couldn't see. Isn't that true? There are a whole lot of spiritual things we missed. Why? The Bible says that before we come to Christ, we're unregenerated. What is that? We, our spirit is not born again, so we're actually the walking dead. And you thought it was just a bad show on AMC. But the, there are multitudes of people that are alive and breathing, but spiritually they're dead. Why? Because they haven't come to Christ and repented of their sin and be delivered from the dominion of sin. So they're walking around in this state where, you know, they're spiritually unsensitive. And really when we talk about spiritual sensitivity, we're really talking about discernment. Now, over time, uh, through age, our natural abilities and sometimes even our discernment can diminish. Do you ever notice we don't hear like we used to? What? We don't see like, oh my, there's people out there. We don't see like we used to. We don't smell like we used to. Huh, well, don't read into that too much. Sometimes that's a blessing. All the young people are looking at me. What are you talking about? But when you get to a certain point, you realize there's a diminishing of the natural senses. And, you know, just to show you where I'm at with this, uh, I want to tell you about my encounter this week with Brother Ken. Now, now I got your attention. So, you know, I'm walking through the church and I'm walking through the hallway and I notice in the front office as I'm flying by that there is a, a, a white table in there and it's sitting in the middle of the front office and it has a, a white handwritten paper sign on it. And as I fly by, it says Brother Ken on it. So I'm doing my stuff and I'm thinking, why do people always dump stuff in the church? People just bring their stuff. And, and so I go back to read the sign and I, and I bend down and it says broken. <laughs> This is a true story. Some people didn't even get it. Hooked on phonics doesn't work for everybody. Broken, not brother Ken. It was a broken table. So, you know, that goes to show you where I'm at sometimes with my perception. 
it gets worse. But God wants us to be spiritually sensitive, to be able to discern things. And we lose that naturally over time. You know, you say, well, not spiritually. Yeah, absolutely spiritually. Why? Because when we first come to Christ and we're all excited about being Christians and we're all, we're, do, we're reading the word every day and we're praying all the time. And then when that starts to slip a little bit, we, we lose our sensitivity. Then all of a sudden, we, we don't have that spiritual discernment like we should. And, and we have our encounters with Brother Ken. We're confused. Now, the text says here, when you are at the altar, so doing something spiritual, when you're at the altar, remember your brother who has something against you. Now, I want you to see the setting that Jesus is talking about here. When you're doing spiritual things, you need to exercise spiritual sensitivity. When we are doing spiritual things and we're not spiritually sensitive, we're dangerous. I'll tell you why. We're at the altar and we're doing something spiritual. You know, and we think, oh, great, I'm here and I'm coming before the Lord and I'm at the altar. Remember, we don't have a stage. We have an altar. Stages are for performances. This is for worship. So I'm doing something worshipful here, yet I'm not doing it out of a place of spiritual sensitivity. And so many times we wind up missing what God is saying and we're pounding the square peg in the round hole and we think we're doing something good and it really has little to no spiritual value. When we do things spiritually without spiritual sensitivity, the recklessness of that, the, the, the fact that we are having zeal without knowledge makes us the proverbial bull in the china closet. And we break everything around us, including ourselves and everyone that's there. And so we've got to be spiritually sensitive. And God wants us to understand that when we're doing spiritual things, we need to have our spiritual ears on. We need to have our spiritual eyes open. Amen. Our spiritual senses need to be used. Amen. And if we're not spiritually sensitive, we could very well be going through the motions and doing things that have no real eternal value. Now, you say, Pastor, you know... This is all about discernment and, and remembering. Look what Jesus says here. When you're at the altar, remember. Do you ever feel like sometimes you just, rem it, it's so hard to remember things when you need to. Uh, and I, don't, I know everyone's memory is a challenge. As there again, you know, it's hard to remember things and, and in the heat of the moment. Maybe you're like that person that, you know, you remember what you needed to say two hours after the conflict. Come on, you're driving home and you're like, man, that was a good, I should have said that. Who, who does that? Oh, that was a good point. I should have said, oh, I had a zinger, man. I should have. And like two hours later, we're on the drive home and it's too late. And you say, well, you know, that's just a human condition. Like many of us feel like that. Oh, I should have did this. I should have said that. And here's the thing. You say, well, I need to get better at that. Yeah, we need to get better at that. But there's even a, a greater way to overcome this. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is never at a loss for words. He, he never, the Holy Spirit doesn't go, oh, two hours later. You know what, Rick? You should have said. No. He knows immediately, right away, has the word of the Lord in season, right then for right now. He knows the right attitude, the right words, the right posture. And so what I'm getting at here is if we'll learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he'll tell us what to do and tell us what to say in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, so we don't miss it. So we're not up at the altar doing something without spiritual sensitivity that looks spiritual, but has no eternal value.
We need to develop our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. Refusing to develop spiritual sensitivity and discernment really boils down to laziness. And people want to say, well, I just don't have the gift of discernment. Well, the gift of discernment is above and beyond regular discernment. Okay, everybody has a measure of discernment. And look, you're sitting here listening to the word week after week. You're getting good stuff tucked in your heart. You, you've got what it takes. You've got, listen, you are filled with the word. You've got the discernment that, that to allow that to get from your heart to your head, to your mouth, to your hands. So if we're like, well, I, I'm just, you know, that's not my gift. No, that's just spiritual laziness. People say all the time, well, you know, um, you know, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. And, and you see this in the marriage realm too, where people are like, well, you know, I just can't understand my spouse. Or, you know, women are like, you know, men are just, men are simple to understand. You got 15 minutes later, I'll explain us to you real quick. <laughs> Ladies, a little more complex. But listen to me, I've been married for 27 plus years. I understand my wife. Now it's quiet, all the guys are like, he's a Jedi. No, the reason I understand her is because, because I've taken the time to listen to her and care about what she, you know, even though she thinks I'm not listening, I'm listening. And I understand her. I know how to meet her needs. Look, guys, you're walking around. I just, I just can't understand her. You have not put the time in. Men, we understand what we want to understand. The leading psychologists and scientists and rocket scientists and mathematicians and, and uh, all of these, they're all men. We understand stuff. It wasn't Alberta Einstein. It was Albert. We have the capacity to understand our wives. Wives... You can understand your husband. So when we claim, oh, you know, I just can't do it, really, that lack of spiritual sensitivity is just laziness. Now, God bless you this morning. You look happy, so let's move on. Here's a warning. Underdeveloped spiritual sensitivity, coupled with our natural tendency to forget and to wander, leaves us in a really bad spot. Why? Because we are open to being deceived. If you and I won't develop our spiritual sensitivity, we just might be swept away by every wind of doctrine. The Bible says in the last days, the spirit of deception will be so strong that even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. Quiet now. You know, we need some depth to us. We need some sensitivity to us. We need some consistency and discipline in our discipleship so that we would not be drawn away by every wind of doctrine. We can't claim, you know, I just can't do it. That's laziness. And if we are in a state where we are spiritually dull and we, we haven't developed sensitivity, we're in a very serious spot because we can be deceived. Listen to what 2 Timothy 3.13 says. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Hey, it's not going to get better. It's going to go from bad to worse. So buckle up your seatbelt and dig into Jesus. Deceiving and being deceived. That's what they're going to do. They're going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14 of, of 2 Timothy 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Let's just stop there. What Paul is saying to Timothy, a young minister in the Lord, you were raised in this, you're full of the Holy Spirit, you sat under good teaching, maintain your sensitivity and watch out for deceivers because if you don't, you're gonna get deceived. Wow. 
So this morning, spiritual sensitivity is not something we can develop if we feel like it. Out of matter of necessity, we need to be spiritually sensitive. So when we're up at the altar doing spiritual things, we're not just spinning our wheels, but we're actually doing something that's pleasing to the Lord. Number two, the second skill we need to develop if we're gonna mend fractured relationships is this. Yeah, we've gotta be sensitive. When the Holy Spirit tells us to do something to fix a relationship, we've gotta be able to hear and respond. Number two, we need the spiritual skill of understanding spiritual order. Order. This has to do uh, with the fact that the God that we serve is a God of order. When God looked at the earth, he brooded over it by the Holy Spirit. The earth was still and it was void and it was in chaos. What did God do? He brought order to the chaos. He synchronized the stars in the sky. He put the planets in the right spot. He put the earth the right distance from the sun. He put it on the right orbit so he wouldn't burn up or freeze to death. Come on, our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of disorder, but he's a God of meticulous order. Yet many of us approach him as if we can do anything in any order and, and not understand any of his priorities and we're gonna have a good result. But that's not the truth at all. Order is vitally important. In fact, one bit of disorder in any situation, especially in the kingdom of God, can be disastrous and have incredible consequences. One point of disorder. Let me give you an illustration that, you know, we should be understand. There are certain things you need to do every day when you start your day so you can have a good day. Amen? Amen. Now, you think I'm going to tell you to read your Bible and pray for eight hours. No, uh, it's even more practical than that. We get up in the morning. We get dressed. We, you know, take care of ourselves physically, brush our teeth, do all those things. We stand online. We get our breakfast. We get our coffee. We show up for work, and we can start having a productive day. Now take one thing out of order there. We get up, we stand on line for breakfast, we show up at work, and then we get dressed. You missed it. Because uh, when I was going through point number two, you're like, oh, okay. You showed up w for work, and then you got dressed, so you can't have a productive day. You can go to jail and get charged with indecent exposure. Okay, one little thing. I know, you know, it's not likely. Hopefully nobody does that this week. But you're seeing the, the point is that everything you do and we do is important. Order and structure and priorities are important. So much the more in the kingdom of God. Almost every failure in our lives can be linked to two things described in this text. The first is this. Inaction leads to missed opportunities. When God needs us to do something and we don't do it, the inaction of that causes us to miss a God moment, to miss an opportunity. Look what it says here. We're up at the altar. We're bringing our offering. And what is the word of the Lord? Jesus says, leave your offering. Now, if we don't leave our offering and we just present it anyway, because come on, Lord, I'm here already. I got my offering clothes on. I got my offering. There's the plate. Tom is already eyeballing me because I'm taking too long. And God says, leave it. You say, why in the world would we have to leave something there at that moment at the altar? Because presenting it at that moment would be out of order. Because there is a bigger issue, a bigger priority that needs to be addressed 
first before God can receive that offering from us. You see, when we do spiritual things that are out of order, they're not pleasing to God. Wow. He who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to the church. It's not going through the motions. It's not talking the Christian words. It's not doing the cultural Western Christianity thing. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can hear the Holy Spirit and be obedient to his instruction, that we understand the priorities of God and how they do not line up with the priorities of men. And we are willing to respond with action and not miss an opportunity. God, unlike us, never ignores the elephant in the room right? The big issue. How many times you're with people and there's a big issue there? Maybe, you know, it's with your family at Christmas or at the Thanksgiving table. Now, I'm not telling you to start World War III before the turkey gets cut. But what I'm saying is, you know, when you got issues with people, you're all trying to look so holy now. And the thing is, like, we want to talk about everything but the issue. Oh, look at the weather. Isn't it nice? It's January. I just love this. How about this? And how about this team? And did you see what happened? Uh, you know, uh, and, and we're talking about everything. Listen, you know what God does? God, we say, oh, how about the weather? God says, I don't care about the weather. How about this? He goes right to the heart of the issue. He doesn't ignore the elephant in the room. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, well, that's cute. You brought an offering. Oh, isn't that nice? You look nice. I like your Sunday. Go to meet and hat. It's really good. No. He's like, I want to talk about the elephant. We don't. He does. That's the difference between our, our, our makeup and his. He goes right after that issue. So why? Because he knows that if we don't hit that priority correct, if the inaction of our willing to want to avoid that situation uh, allows us to miss an opportunity, it's going to cost us spiritually. God never ignores the elephant in the room. Make no mistake, inaction will cost us the blessing of God at moments, cause us to miss opportunities. It's like that old story about the man who was in a flood and he was a Christian man and he climbed to the tallest building in the town and he said, I know that Jesus is going to save me. And before too long, the water had risen over the roof and a a, a rowboat came up and the man said, get in. And he said, no, Jesus is going to save me. Then the water got up to his knees and and a a motorboat came and the man said, get in. He said, no, Jesus is going to save me. Finally, it was up to his neck and a helicopter comes and they drop a ladder and he's like, nope, Jesus is going to save me and he drowns and he gets to heaven and he looks, he's the only one sad in heaven. And he sees Jesus and he said, Jesus, I trusted you. Why didn't you save me? He says, I sent a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. Hello? Sometimes we're so spiritual, we can't see the hand of God in the natural things because we don't have spiritual sensitivity. And our inaction causes us to miss the blessing of God. Our inaction causes us to miss the blessing of God. You say, why in the world would you have to leave the altar and go be reconciled to a person first? There's two reasons. The first reason is this, because of what 1 John 4.20 says. Listen to 1 John 4.20. This is why we got to leave the altar and find our brother who we have an offense with. It says this, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Wow. 
The word of God is strong. I like it. It doesn't mince any words. Oh, I love God. I'm spiritual. I can't stand Christians. I don't go to church. I don't need no pastor, but I love God. The word calls you a liar. <laughs> I'd call you other things, but let's just refrain from that right now. You, you can't love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters who say, well, I love God, but you know, that Elias guy. No, you can't do it. We've got to love each other. The Bible says that we'll be known by our love for one another. <laughs> so the reason we got to leave our offering, our nice spiritual offering at the altar is because our hearts are out of order and we need to be reconciled first to that person whom we've seen so we can be right with the God whom we haven't seen. Number two, the second reason we need to leave the altar and go to a human is this, because unreconciled relationships can hinder our connection to God. Now, we don't like to think about this. There again, that independent Lone Ranger spirit that so many Western Christians have, well, I don't need this, and I don't need the church, and I don't need leadership, and I don't need to submit to authority, and if I don't like what this guy preaches, I'll go over here. Listen, that whole spirit is contrary to everything Jesus is teaching here. The reason, you know, that that never works is because it fosters immaturity, and we never grow up. And so here's that situation where, you know, you had to go find your brother and be reconciled, but an unreconciled relationship will actually put a wall between you and God. Why? I don't have a problem with God. I just don't like, I don't, I don't like this guy. I don't like brother so-and-so. I don't like sister so-and-so. I'm mad at brother Ken. He left his table <laughs> in the front office. <laughs> Sometimes he's just made up stuff that we're mad about. It's not even true. First Peter 3, 7 says this, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. All the husbands just suck the air out of the room. You mean if I don't get along with sister emotional, sensitive, box of tissues, crying at the movie. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> if I can't get along with her, God's not going to want to talk to me? Well, I just read it, John Wayne. There it is. I don't like it any more than you do. You might have noticed I'm of the gender persuasion of a male. <laughs> but the thing is, the principle is this. Now, there might be stuff that you don't understand in that text. Meditate on it, read it. But here's the principle underneath there. Fractured relationships with people hinder our relationship with God. If we can't love our brother whom we've seen, God's like, I don't want to talk to you, go fix it. If we can't love our, our wives who are flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone, if we can't submit to our husbands and serve our husbands who, whom God chose for, listen to me, then God says, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, I don't like this kind of preaching. Good. <laughs> because it's what the word says, amen. And, and we, whether we like it or not, God says, that, hey, that's it. Take it or leave it. You know, it's his word. Why? Because he knows us. And he knows that until we embrace the spiritual order, I, I got to love my wife and lay my life down. There needs to be harmony in our marriage. She can't be undermining me and, and subvert. There has to be harmony. When there's harmony, now there's order. Now the God of order can flow down upon that. And our prayers are unhindered. When I have peace with people around me, the Bible says as much as it depends on you, have peace with all people. Some of you guys like to start fights and create drama. And all it's doing is cutting 
cutting you off from God. He doesn't want to talk to you until you cut it out. And there'll be more empty seats next week. So the second spiritual skill is that we understand spiritual order and God's priorities, that we understand we have to be reconciled to those that we can see and be in right relationship with those around us before we can be in right relationship with God. The third spiritual skill is this. So we need spiritual sensitivity. We need to understand God's order. Uh, Number three, we need the skill of overcoming pride. See, to overcome pride is not just, you know, a choice or something that, you know, we, all, we have in our personality, either you got it or you don't. To overcome pride, you're going to need spiritual skill. And in that statement that I just made, that we need the spiritual skill to overcome pride, there's an assumption being made there. And the assumption is this, that all of us deal with pride. And that assumption is exactly 110% true. All of us will deal with pride to some degree till the day we die. When we're in heaven, when we see God, when we see Jesus, I guarantee you because the flesh is gone, that pride will go with it and we won't be in heaven. There'll be no proud people in heaven saying, you know, I wanted a bigger mansion and why is it, you know, no. It's connected to the flesh. And when we're delivered from this body of sin at death, we're going to be delivered from it. But until we are delivered from it, all of us are going to deal with it to some degree. Now, some people are worse than others. Don't raise your hand. It's not the altar call. But some people have more of an issue with pride than others. But listen to me. Even the most humble, sweetest saint can have a pride flare-up in the right situation. You know, it's amazing. Just that the enemy can find that one person to push our one last button. Now, I'm not talking about me. I got lots of buttons. I'm talking about somebody out there who's like really close to perfect. And, you know, you just got one button left. And you find that one person that just, that one person in the office who's rude, who just doesn't like you, who talks behind your back and you know it. That person. And they're just like, scab picker pokers. And they can, did you ever just flare up with something and you're like, where did that come from? That's, most of us don't have to ask where it came from. We're like, I didn't mean for that to get out. (laughs) But like there's sometimes stuff comes out of us that where did that, it's that little bit of the flesh that needs to be crucified every day. So we're all going to deal with pride and we need some skills to overcome it. Now, even the most humble soul is going to have to deal with this in the right moments. Now here, I know the Holy Spirit has shown me the fastest way to overcome pride. Would you like to know what it is? Well, that was like three people. I'm, I'm not casting my pearls before three people. <laughs> I'll give you another chance. Would you like to know the fastest way to overcome pride? Yes. That's better. So here, here's the way. The fastest way to overcome pride is to esteem humility. The reason we don't learn to deal with pride is because we don't think humility is that important to have, or we don't esteem it. We don't think, well, being a humble person will, no, we we would rather be a proud, boisterous, loud, give them a piece of our mind, tell them how it is person than a humble person. 
Yet, what did Jesus do? He showed humility. Even though he was the creator of all things, he lowered himself and, and he was born uh, and, and he put on this suit of flesh with all its weaknesses and with all its, uh, with all its exposures. And he came and he lived among us and, and, and he took the low road. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and I'll give you rest for your souls. What, because I'm humble and meek and mild. But that was Jesus. He came as a lamb. He, he's coming back as a lion, but he came as a lamb. So Jesus' example was humility, yet the, our flesh doesn't like humility. And until we learn to esteem humility, we're not going to want to deal with our pride. Because I need this, Lord. I need this. I need this for special occasions where I need to growl and show my teeth so people don't mess with me. Or maybe you're, I don't know which one you are. You got cats and dogs here. But even the most humble person will have that pride. And until we esteem humility, we're not going to really deal with our pride. Being humble is not weakness. Please hear this. Being humble is not weakness. It's actually amazing, an amazing strength. It's actually a superpower to be able to be humble. It is just when you have arrogant people, when you have people who despitefully use you, people who are disrespectful towards you. See, you learn this stuff in the ministry right away because the devil throws them at you one after another. And you learn to smile and wave. And it's not fake, but you're learning just to be humble. You got to have the heart. Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so... Esteem humility to the place where you can begin to address pride. And eventually, when we begin to realize how beautiful humility is, we'll be eventually be able to kill our pride or at least get it down to the place where we can contain it so it doesn't overcome us. And this is important because without dealing with pride, we are never going to have the humility it takes to fix fractured relationships. Do you know why most broken relationships stay broken? Pride. Well, you know, I'm not coming. I'm, if you come first, well, I'm not coming first. Well, you, you know how, well, if you say you're sorry, I'm not saying I'm sorry. Well, you know, and it's just like two people who, who draw a line in the proverbial sand and no one's going no to bend first. It's, it's not humility, but it's pride. Now, the text says here that we need to make friends with our opponent in, in a certain way. It says make friends quickly. Did you hear that? Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge. Let's just stop there. Why would you have to make friends with your opponent in the first place? And why would you have to do it quickly? Listen to me. The first reason is this, because conflicts and offenses that are given time to fester will metastasize and pride will begin to just you know, harden the hearts of everyone involved. There are times where, you know, you, you have a little issue, it's a, it's a molehill, but time allows it to turn into a mountain. And now be, it was just between you and somebody, but now you've told this person and you've told that, and you were sharing with brother and sister so-and-so, sharing, the Greek word is gossip. And, you know, you, and, and now all of a sudden the sphere is bigger. Now everybody knows. Now, now it's not just you and them anymore. We're gonna talk about this a little later, but now the problem's got so big that your pride doesn't allow you to humble yourself at this point. When you, you could have just went to your brother and said, hey, I, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was out of line. I didn't have enough sleep. I, I, I got issues. <laughs> Humility. 
and that offense is allowed to fester and it just gets bigger and there's more people involved. And so he says, make friends quickly. Things that are solved quickly do much less damage than things that are allowed to linger. Number two, why make friends quickly? Because you, know, you might think, why do I have to make friends with this person at all? I'm going to go to court. I'm going to sue him. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to show everybody I was right. Here's why we have to make friends quickly. Because in the history of arguments, no one, ex- <laughs> no one that I know of has been 110% right ever. We're always partially wrong. Now, if you're married, you've come to terms with this. Right? How many arguments you get in with your spouse that you know you're 100% right? You might think, well, they don't know that I'm wrong, but they, I, I want to work this angle here. Come on. And then, 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 then the halfway into the argument, you, they know. See, that's why you got to do it quickly. Why? That's why you got to make friends with an adversary. That's why you got to settle with your opponent because there's always a degree in almost every conflict that we are partially wrong. The thing is we get intoxicated by the idea that we're mostly right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this one. No, you're not. God's not going to let you because that's pride and God resists the proud gives grace to the humble. You mean, because I'm 3% wrong, I got to be wrong? Yep, you got to be 3% wrong. Oh, I hate it too. But it's good for our souls because it puts us in spiritual order. It makes us like Jesus. It keeps us humble. It allows us to overcome pride. It allows us to, to get all the conflict and the broken relationships out of the way so we can have healthy relationships, so our prayers aren't hindered, so our fellowship with God is unhindered, so the blessing can flow on us. The last thing I want to say here is uh, in response to how Jesus concludes this, he, he says, you know, make friends on the way, settle out of court, don't, don't get to the place where you come before the judge, because if you go before the judge, he's going to give you to the officer, you're going to be thrown in prison. Now listen to verse 26, truly I say to you, you will not come out of there till you have paid up every last cent. You know, there are certain venues that we can go into in this world that we can expect no grace. In the kingdom of God, there's grace. When there's an offense between your brother and sister, Pastor Mike, we, uh, we get in an argument, we, we humble ourselves and repent to each other, there's grace between us. But now if we get a third party involved, if we get everybody else involved, and we split the church over it, let's fight it out, now it's really ugly. So understand, the last place you want to be drugged by anybody is before court. You, the last thing you want to do is involve a third party. Now, with the one exception of marital situations, biblical counseling from solid leadership is a very positive thing. Sometimes, if you've been married long enough, you know, sometimes you just need a referee. It's quiet now. Ding, ding, in this corner. Weighing none of your business. Guess who was in that corner? But, but outside of that, it is much better to settle personal conflicts with that person. Go to God first, and then go to the person with the right heart, and 90% of the time, you and I can get it settled. 
and we can be restored. And then God mends that thing to where, oh yeah, there was an offense between us, but we worked it out. And I saw his heart and he saw mine. And now we love each other more than we did. We're stronger now than we were when we started. Oh, that's the mending process. Come on. But when you get a third party involved, it gets harder to get humble because now you have an audience. Do you have fractured relationship in your lives? All of us do. Are they hindering your connection to God? They probably are. Get some spiritual sensitivity. Hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. Embrace the priorities of the kingdom and not your own, and then humble yourself. Now listen to me. I'm not saying to anybody to go back and reignite or reopen a relationship that's toxic and destructive to your soul. There are some people that are not in your life that, you know, you may have forgiven them, but they're not allowed back in. Now, please have wisdom about this stuff. I'm talking about spiritual sensitivity. So if the Holy Spirit says you need to go to that person and you need to get reconnected with them, that's the person you go to. You don't let everybody that God removed from your life to preserve you and preserve your salvation and your sanity back in and think, well, I'm just trying to be scriptural. No, that's foolishness. There are some people I've forgiven that will never have access to my life again. You say, well, then you haven't. Yes, I have forgiven them. But wisdom dictates that they're not allowed to come back in because they're toxic, they're controllers, and they haven't changed. Come on, this is just good practical stuff. So if the Holy Spirit says you go to that person and you say and you may you make sure he says it twice, come again. <laughs> yeah, okay, I got it. When when we and then we do that and we're obedient, we're sensitive, God brings restoration and and the blessing flows. So understand here today there's a spiritual skill set that allows us to restore fractured relationships. Jesus wants us to have it to be spiritually sensitive, to not just be that proverbial bull in a china closet, to, to be able to have humility, to allow him to, you know, when we're wrong, to be wrong, and to allow broken things to become fixed so that they're mended stronger than they ever were before. You can have murder in your heart and never pull the trigger. You can be estranged from your brother and sister and cut yourself off from the blessing of God. Jesus didn't want us to live that way. And so he's asked us here in Matthew 5 to take a look in our hearts and to consider where we're at. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you this morning for your goodness and mercy that you love us enough to give us truth, Lord. And I, I'm thankful for these people who come every week that are willing to hear uh, the word and, and to eat meat and not just to be babies that want milk. Thank you, Lord, for the spiritual maturity that, that's here in this house. I thank you for it. Father, I pray as you've served us up some meat today that each of us would be humble enough and sensitive enough to, to allow the Holy Spirit to look in our own hearts, to clean out our own garage. And Father, if you're telling us to mend a fractured relationship, now that we have the skill set necessary to do it, Holy Spirit, help us to do it in a way that glorifies our Father in heaven. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise today. Amen. Amen. Amen.